Hi, Tenter Wild podcast listeners. Do you feel a call to know your inner wild? To get to know the authentic parts of you that may be longing to be more free, more real, perhaps even more integrated? If so, you might consider joining me and Kate for a week in the wilds of Costa Rica on healing retreat. During this powerful week, you get twice daily healing practices with me that include yoga, meditation, energy work, and depth psychology, as well as individual coaching with Kate. In addition, we haven't even mentioned the miles of white sand beach, the warm ocean, the organic healthy food, this amazing healing spa and longevity center, and my favorite, all the monkeys in the trees. This retreat is happening at the World Class Retreat Center Blue Spirit in Nosara, Costa Rica from May 11 to the 18th, this 2024. This is my third May in a row to teach at this retreat center. And I actually find May to be the ideal month to shed all the heaviness of winter and to move into summer more light, clear, and open. There are still a handful of spots left. So if it is calling to you, we would love to spend that week with you. Check it all out at www.oneyogaglobal.com. That's O-N-E yogaglobal.com. Click on Costa Rica and Dr. Betsy Rippentrop and you will find all of the information. This episode is being sponsored by Revival, a women-owned and operated clothing store located in downtown Iowa City, offers a curated selection of modern, resale, and vintage clothing and gifts. Revival focuses on brands that empower women and promote ethical and sustainable practices. Making sure your wardrobe and your style look great while doing our planet and community good. Celebrating 20 years this fall, find them on the Ped Mall in downtown Iowa City or shop 24-7 online at RevivalIowaCity.com. Use promo code TENDHER23 for 15% off your purchase. Who are you before you lost your wild self? That's what we're helping you explore on the Tend Her Wild podcast. Through questions and tools around how best to listen to your inner voice, rewild ourselves, and live the most authentic life where we thrive instead of survive. I'm Betsy. And I'm Kate. And we're so glad you've joined us for this episode. Listeners, this is our final episode of season one, and it is such a great one to end with because it's from a live event called the Resilience Summit that happened on November 17 at the gorgeous women-owned event center, Little Lights on the Lane. Kate and I recorded this podcast with over 150 women in the audience and during the podcast, we listened to four brave women tell their moving resilient stories. This live event came at the end of a four-week online course called Tend Her Resilience that was supported by a grant through the state of Iowa. Over 1,100 women signed up for this course, which still blows us away. We want you to all know if you missed it, this course is still available and will continue to remain available for free for anyone who wants to take it and learn how to strengthen their own inner sense of resilience. All the details are in our show notes. One last thing, we are taking a short pause, Kate and I, for the month of January before we start season two of Tenter Wild. We'll be back with new episodes this February, 2024. We're excited to come back, continuing to explore rewilding authenticity, and living a life that feels more real and true. So please come back, join us. We love all our listeners. We love the support, the interest, the questions, and the fact that you keep listening. Make sure to rate, review, and share these podcasts. Thank you. Hello, Tender Wild Podcast listeners. In today's episode, we're going to talk about resilience. 
We're here live at Little Lights on the Lane and attend her Resilience Summit with over 150 women. So today's experience comes on the heels of a much larger free course that 1,100 women registered for on resilience. And a big shout out to the Mental Health Disability Services of Eastern Iowa for that grant and funding that made all of this possible. So thank you to them. So Betsy, we, we just want to take a minute. What is resilience? It's not something we're born with, right? Let's define it. Yeah, so the word resilience originally comes from the field of engineering and it means to bounce back. But we've sort of talked about it in a completely different way because who wants to bounce back into your old way of living? When we go through something big, it's really all about bouncing forward and transforming into something different. So resilience is not an inborn trait. It's not something just some of us have. It's a muscle that we all develop and it comes directly out of challenge. And in this lifetime, we're all gonna have multiple challenges and multiple resilient stories. What we've talked about in the course that just ended was that there's sort of three ways to build resilience. We have to know thyself, we have to feel thyself, and then we have to show thyself. So these 150 plus women here, you're showing yourselves today. So uh, kudos to that. So on today's episode, we're going to share some resilience stories because storytelling can be really powerful. And we will have, um, it's often not, we're not, we don't tell our stories from this place of the open wound. We need to wait till we're on the other side of the challenge. So we can't really see our resilience. We're in the middle of it. We often have to wait until the other side. And so it's really from the scar that we tell our stories and we can really look back and reflect on what we've learned. So our first guest today is Erin. And Erin, um, share with us, we're gonna just spend a little time with you, share with us a challenge, because we know we've all had many, a challenge that required resilience for you that you're willing to talk about today. So the, my story is one that started long ago. And so my story of resilience is also one of perseverance. Um, so when I was a little kid, my mom used to take us on our acreage to our big oak tree out in our pasture. And she would tell my brothers and I to hold hands and stretch our arms as far as we could to see if we could hug the tree. And so I spent many adventures out in that pasture, um, going to see the tree. And so, um, as time went by, I started to use the tree, I suppose, as some sort of resource to go out and think. So when I was about 12, I started imagining that there would be a barn and there would be string lights and ribbons because I was 12 in the tree and that people would park up our long driveway and they would come, um, to celebrate things. I imagined weddings and events, and this is a strange dream for a 12 year old, it was long ago, there wasn't places like this then. And so um, I really, I had this dream inside of me. And so when I started college, I didn't really know what that was. Like, how do you go to school for something like this? Um, but I had this catalyst come in where my parents hosted a foreign exchange student and she just happened to be from Denmark. Her name was Christina. And um, we became best friends and I got to see a different perspective because she lived so differently than I did. And when I went to see her in Denmark, the first time we walked down the boardwalk of New Haven, which is a famous little place in Copenhagen with all the ships and the shops. And I remember seeing chairs sitting outside of the restaurants with blankets and candles and all these cozy spaces. And I asked her, why are they like that? And she said, oh, that's Huga. And Huga is about creating cozy, intentional time with people that you love to slow down and sit in the moment. And for me, it was like taking a rock and throwing it into a lake. Everything after that point had a ripple for me and how I saw things in my life. So I started school. And I took classes on event management and how to take care of a building and um, psychology and how to work with humans. And I learned as much as I could. And I became a wedding photographer. 
And through that, I shot hundreds of weddings and I learned that you have this opportunity when you're a part of such an important day, an irreplaceable day, to be able to see it from a different perspective and kind of suck the stress out of it and also help people to slow down and be intentional where they can't see it because they're in the middle of all of it. And so I started to hone in on this dream. So my husband thought I was crazy. Like I wanted to build an event center in West Branch. <laughs> and I convinced him that there was an empty building on Main Street. And if I rented it, then I could make all my mistakes on a building that was rented. So I asked my dear friend, Amanda, to please help me start this business. <laughs> and so we rented this space and we started hosting small weddings. Like 75 people was maxed. Um, you would like bump the wall when you scooted out from your chair. And we started taking care of this building essentially and the guests that came through it. So we spent weddings carrying benches to the national park and setting up for ceremonies. There were days that we would hold cardboard up the holes in the kitchen because it was raining during a wedding. Um, and we would sit on the back porch and dream about someday it's going to happen. Someday we're going to build a space that has all of these rooms and they make people feel a certain way. And so I, I joined a committee on Main Street and I met Jerry. Jerry um, wanted to buy the golf course and he was so supportive of our small community and I loved his passion for life. And so um, he asked me if, if we bought the golf course, would you build the event center there with me? And so it wasn't really what I was dreaming. There wasn't a long driveway. There wasn't a big oak tree. Um, you know, it, it didn't really match. I was like, I'm no not ribbons. a, yeah, I'm, not, no ribbons. No, I'm not a golf course girl. I, I thought to myself, but yeah. I thought maybe I could make it work. And so we started down that process together and we hired our architects and engineers and we spent a year in design. Um, and into that year, there became a point where when I would go to the meetings, they, they didn't really listen to me. Um, so you really felt like no one is hearing me no, in this process. No. My dream is getting, it did. not, it did. Represented. It got really lost. We got to the point where it was a two-story building and it was over twice our budget. And I knew I couldn't do it. How was I going to do that? So what did you do? Um, <clears throat> I went to an entrepreneur summit actually, and I heard a speaker, um, Jenna Kucher is her name. And she was speaking about sometimes in life, we're so dead set on going down a road and we get down to the road and then we realize where, where am I? This isn't where I was going. And she said that. And I remember this pit in my stomach, like we were a year in, we'd already spent $150,000 on design. And I realized, and we had weddings booked for like the next year. <laughs> so we had to start construction. And I realized I'm, I'm building somebody else's dream this isn't my dream. They've all taken control over it. They're, they're designing something that's not what I know is in my heart and I have to stop. And so that was really hard to admit that out loud. I'm, I'm not like a kid who has a whole bunch of money. My husband and I are not like loaded. I was a small town kid who had this dream and $150,000 is a lot to throw in the air. Yeah. But you did. So I did. I I came back home and I told Jason, I think this is a mistake. And I asked them to come and meet with me outside the lively that you guys will see later today. Um, and sat down and said, I just think that we've gone too far down this road and we should back up and we should, you should sell me a parcel and you build your building and I'll build mine and we'll support each other's businesses and move forward. And they both were crying and I was crying and they were like, you're right. And we agree. And so how did that feel to be able to say, um, terrifying, but also like it lifted it, you know, because I was carrying this knowing I can't do this. This isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. And so after that stopped, then the song in my head, it just got so much louder because I knew I was stopping and I could start back over with the process. So I convinced my husband that we could ask the guys that build his farm buildings to build this. And I went and sat down with them and said, if I tell you what to do, like what to build, will you just build it? And they were like, yeah, let's do it. Nice. <laughs> so 
I interviewed every single subcontractor. I looked at them my, like, I was like, look at me. And if they did not respond in the way that I knew that they were going to listen to my dream, they just didn't get hired. Yes. <laughs> so a lot of men did help me with this project and they showed up and they worked, but this beautiful thing happened because we had this timeline, right? Because we had weddings booked and now we started all over. <laughs> so um, I think what really happened for me is Jerry, we were supposed to build it over there. And Jerry was like, I think that actually you would be better up on the hill because it's flat. And I was like, I don't imagine that. I hadn't thought about it at all. I'm a very visual person. So I came out here by myself and I walked past all these cart sheds. If you can imagine, all of this was six foot higher and there was old abandoned cart sheds everywhere because this golf course was literally falling apart. And I walked past them and I noticed the tree that's right outside this door. And I sat down underneath of it and I remember looking up and saying, were you here the whole time? <laughs> You're here? It was right there. And I was like, it's here. The dream is here. I just couldn't see it because I was so worried about what everybody else wanted and what they saw for it and took breath with that and started back over. I told my architect, um, well, he wasn't actually an architect. He, he, uh, he was a rendering specialist who had an architect background. So I was like, I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to send you Pinterest pictures. I'm going to send you all of these things. I want to go through it on the computer together. I don't ever want to see your face. I don't want to know your children's names. I don't want to have any kind of emotional <laughs> connection to you. I just and need he, you to do what I'm asked and paying and, you to do. And he did. And he was wonderful with that. And he listened and I said, no, copper, I want copper gutters and nope, the, the pitch needs to go higher and nope, wood shingles and kept going with it. But the thing that it looks the closest to is a castle right outside my brother's house um, who ended up marrying our foreign exchange student actually. So um, they live in Denmark and going back and forth between that country and here so many times over the past 20 years, it really taught me a lot about intention. And so this is a beautiful building and I'm happy that everybody gets to come here and think this is so beautiful. But the whole goal for you being in here, the whole goal that all of our team members put out to everyone is that you should also feel something when you come in here. It should feel like you entered someone's home. You came into their living room and there's an opportunity for you to slow down and have intention and take that little light back out into the world. So that's what the name is. Thank you, Erin. And this is a resilience build like dream. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing all yeah. of this. We heard this story when we came here to plan. And so we knew you needed to hear it too, because this is, you manifested this and it was hard and you're right. Perseverance is a big part of your resilience story. So thank you for sharing today. Yeah. Yep. I wanted to say too, that, um, the amazing thing about sometimes when you push through a dream is that for me, it started as my dream when I was 12, but now it's become so much more. And it's not just my dream. I have this amazing team and all of them, like you've met Amanda and there's Molly and Haley, and there's so many of them here and it's their dreams and they help build it as we go. So now we have the restaurant, we have a consulting company, we have a bar and all of these things for the most part are manned by women, which is pretty cool. So we do have some pretty great guys on our team, but it's, it's sometimes you just have to remember when you're in the middle of a dream, you have to keep going because you don't know who it's going to ripple in the long run. So Thank you so yeah. much for sharing. Yeah. Thank you. Our next guest is making her way up here with big eyes. I didn't even have a chance to touch base with her when she came in. Have a seat, Miss Sarah. We had brave souls. So we put out the call in the course around, uh, do you have a resilient story? And we really, the first four that came in sort of fit into the four categories we were working with. So Amanda's really like, it was a mental piece. Like she had this vision. Um, Sarah's is a very emotional story. And then we've got the physical and the, the social coming as well. So welcome, Sarah. And you get really close to this. Yes, thank mm -hmm. you. I brought notes because I- That's beautiful. This feels nervy. We'll nerve just pretend they're not here. Yeah, it's just, okay. we're just okay. up here, okay? They're, they're, you know, naked out there. Yeah. There's like a yeah. wall or something. What was that? Hoogie? How do you say- um, Huga? 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 Huga. Yeah. 
love that idea. So Sarah, would you like me to ask you the questions and you respond, or do you just want to, you know, we've got about 10 minutes. Yeah. Do you want to talk just, about your story or do you want, do you want it to be con conversational? What feels right to you? Let's have a conversation. All right. Let's yeah. do that. I, I love like conversations. Yeah. So let's talk first about the challenge. And I know you had sort of two that yeah. are very related. Well, um, it's, it's about grief and loss. And so, um, and I have a pretty significant history with those things. And so the story that I wanted to focus on was kind of the intersection of saying yes to life, the challenge being saying yes to life after the loss of a partner um, and by and saying yes to the possibility of a new partner. So um, this was my my partner, my longtime partner died of, suddenly of cancer in 2011. And then in um, early 2013, I met um, Richard, who was who eventually became my husband. Um, but he came to me in the package of someone who had a significant cancer history himself. And so the challenge for me at that time was to, um, you know, somehow reconcile the absolute terror I felt for getting involved with someone who was probably going to die. Um, and, you know, we, we know we all are going to die, but it, it it was very real present thing in our relationship. Um, and so, you know, just talking about what I confronted in myself. And I mean, there's a whole other conversation about the grief experience after a sudden loss of someone who's in their prime, you know, unexpected, losing the, the not only the history that you had with them and shared, but also the future that you might have had with them. Um, so, you know, all of that is kind of coursing through my veins as I'm meeting Richard, who uh, I just have to share because we met on match.com and his <laughs> handle, his handle was earth dancer, earth dancer, which it's I like thought a dream for every woman I in know. the room, earth dancer. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but I did think it was kind of corny at the time, but I, I absolutely love it. And it absolutely describes him. Um, but, but what, so we were just going to be friends. I just said, Hey, I can't, I can't do this. I, this is just too much. Um, but then we started dancing together and singing together mm -hmm. and, you know, he's, he's coming out of his chemo treatments, you know, dancing with me, uh, looking over the mask with his big eyes, you know, this was long before masks were so commonplace in our culture, you know, and I'm like, here's my new boyfriend, you know? <laughs> But I mean, what what I what was so beautiful and so poignant about that experience was here I am coming from my very contracted, fearful, anxious place, which is my tendency anyway, but after this pretty traumatic loss. And here is someone who's surviving his third round of cancer and just saying, embracing life, you know? So it was what is so profound about this story and why I wanted to share it is because it was in the going toward the thing that was most hardest Gary, for me. You. Um, let me meet the person or the circumstance that was, that helped me heal that. Mm. So like, that's really, that's really profound, yeah. you know? Um talk about some of the coping mechanisms, yeah. you know, as I was, you know, kind of uh, stopping and starting this relationship with Richard, you know, there was just, I, I just gave him a lot of mixed messages, you know, um, I, I think I have feelings for you, but, you know, uh, back up, go forward, back up, go forward. And he was so steadfast. I mean, that was the other thing was, just to have a presence that was willing to let me be in all my, in all my complicated yeah. going back and forth. Um, and as someone who had survived a lot himself, you know, he was kind of an expert at that. He was, he was uh, really, and you know, you talk about putting your hand on your heart all the time. What he would do for me was put his hand on my heart, heart and just let me, 
feel and encouraged me to just feel what I was feeling. Mm. I couldn't do that for myself. Um, and I don't know that I ever really had done that for myself. And so in my relationship with him, you know, that was one thing out of many that he taught me was ask, know what you know, what you're feeling and ask for what you need, wow. you know? Um, so I, I guess in terms of, you know, just the, the shift in the, the suffering, I mean, <laughs> I lived with the possibility that he was going to die <clears throat> the whole time, the whole time, yeah. every single day. You met him and he had cancer. Yes. He was in treatment. He was in remission at the time. And I'm a catastrophic thinker. So, you know, anytime there was like, yeah, <laughs> catastrophic any, thinkers anytime here. there was, you know, any slight sniffle or anything, I just, but, you know, he went from having blood work every three months to having blood work every six months to having blood work every year. And then at five years, he got to graduate and get a primary care provider. You know, he no longer had to go to the cancer clinic for all of his health care. Um, but in year six and a half, it came back. And what I had always believed, this is uh, another shift in my experience. What I had always believed was that my loss of Bob, previous partner in 2011, like permanently took a bite out of me that was I was never going to get back like mm -hmm. that was gone a piece of me that was gone like that trauma and that grief um my heart hurts right now mm -hmm. um you know uh that it was never you know like I I was incapacitated to handle anything else and I remember you know, saying to the good Lord, if you're going to take me to this place, you're going to take me through it. You know, if you can take me to it, you're going to take me through it um, with Richard, because I didn't feel like I had the capacity myself. But what I found when his cancer came back and the, um, the reality of it was that my experience with Bob and what I had learned through that grief and also in the process of kind of having some healing with Richard was that that experience gave me strength. It didn't take strength away. It gave me strength. And I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't have put myself in a position to do a really hard thing. And I wouldn't have known that thinking about it and analyzing it as I am prone to do. It came as a knowing it came, I didn't, I didn't convince myself of it. I didn't talk myself into it. It rose up out of mm -hmm. me. Beautiful. Um, so that gives me hope, you know, because there's lots of times still, um, that I don't feel equipped, <laughs> you know, I feel how many and, of us don't feel equipped. Yeah. yeah. And you know, like what the hell we've been through and Richard died in 2019. COVID hit in 2020, you know, and I'm, I mean, I've, I've come back a, a circling around. I feel some of the same, how do I say yes to life after all of this mm -hmm. now? And I don't well, have look any... at you, Sarah, you just said yes to life. She sent in a story and said, I will go in front of 170 yeah, people you. and tell my story. Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty big yes. Um, thank you. I mean, that's, that's part of my intention. Um, but I, you know, I want that dance partner, you know, to come like coochie cooing over to me, but I, I, I sort of am thinking that, um, you know, I have some work to do on my own that I don't know if that's the case, but that's what brings me to you and the, the courses that you provide and this experience. So, um, I guess just doing the hard thing and, um, knowing that the, that's what resilience is. Yeah. And that's how you build it, even though it's totally. And one more thing I will say is for me, getting out of my head and into my body yeah. is like a key. What that was a key healing. Um, and I, I I say healing, it's still ongoing, but um I've been to therapy, I've done all that stuff and I I love it. But I am looking now and have been doing now things that are bypassing my conscious intellect and really connecting me with my body because my body takes me places good places but scary places that my mind won't let me go to 
so perfectly said. Sarah, thank you so much for being so vulnerable and real and showing up. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Sarah. Our next guest is our dear friend, Jane. Jane is a healer, but she's here to share her story of really physical resilience that you've had to have in your life. So yeah. Tell us about the challenge, Jane. Yes. Get close. get close to that microphone. Well, can I first start by saying something of how excited I was to get here this morning? Because it felt like, oh my God, because 2023 has been a doozy. I think we all know that by now from the hands that went up. Um, and I thought, oh my God, I have a play date. I have a play date. I have a play date with so many women. And then when I was driving here, it reminded me of years, years, years ago, when I went to one of my very first big, huge conferences called, it was sponsored by the Whole Health Institute, where I met, you know, people are familiar with like Jean Shabota Bolin and Larry Dossey. And um, wow, it was, it was amazing. And this beautiful nurse um, who had been in a village in a country in the continent of Africa, and I don't know which country at um, that specifically, because I've asked people who live in Africa um, and different countries there, that, can you tell me what the word Sabona means? So driving here, it reminded me of, and not of them like, I don't know that word, I don't know that word. So she would share, uh, or she shared with us at this conference that uh, this village taught her the word Sabona. And Sabona means, I saw your light before you came. And they chant and they dance. And when they know that you're coming to visit their village and they, and they sing, which I won't sing, um, I, <laughs> I see you coming and I greet you now, Sabona. So it was like, I was so excited for a play date. Yes. And seeing everyone's lights, you know, when I, when I got here and your two lights, this has been like, a giddy excitement. I finally get to be with Kate and Betsy. <laughs> well, share so, with us. I know we, we've talked about, and you and I know each other well enough, the three of us, that we all have a lot of resilient stories, but mm. share the one today that, that um, really was a challenge for you that shook you. Well, as we all know, um, healing is never linear, very multifaceted, multi-layered, you know, the fabric of healing. And I think what I wanted to share about the concussions that I survived, um, that if anyone has had a concussion and if you, you know what it's like with, you're fine, you don't have blood pouring out of you, you, you haven't been, you know, it hasn't been going around in the community that you were in the hospital. It's a solo journey. And... <clears throat> It feels like a solo journey because when this happened to me, it was in, uh, the first one was 2003 and that was my near drowning in, in Maui. And um, I fought for my life. Um, I came out of it pretty bloodied because I was out snorkeling and it was high noon when the water changed because I had gone out to survey the area for my friends that had never done snorkeling before, but I had been snorkeling in Mexico and uh, felt pretty, you know, comfortable with going out and checking it out. So that was um, an, uh, a fight for my life to get back to shore. And I had uh, been beaten up pretty bad with being in a washbowl. So if anybody knows the ruggedness of the waters in, 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 in along the shoreline, um, a washbowl is, you know, you see these big, huge rocks in, in waters. And that, I got tossed into there at the the wickedness, the wildness of, of the mother ocean. And um, before that, it was, just, it was perfectly calm. And, um, and there was a point when something happened. I will never know, but it's okay because I'm here. I'm here. And I, I woke up in the water and I said, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. And I knew then I, you know, this isn't going to be pretty. And I, that time I was just, I, the fury, the fury inside me that, okay, I'm alive. 
and it was it was a it was going to be a rough go. I had the snorkel <clears throat> tube and the fins that saved my life. And I would hurl my body towards the coral reef. And at the same time, I'd be saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry for hurting all those living organisms. But those living organisms saved me. And um, when I when I came out and finally got crawling across the the reef and and made it to to the shoreline i mean sure i had um, a lot of wounds a lot of wounds that needed to heal and it i didn't know what really happened to me the capacity of what happened until um that night on the news and the night on the news um the newscaster said two people died at at sea today and one was a professional surfer, one was a college swimmer. And he showed the points on the map and I was right there in the middle. And it just wasn't my time. Those two were way stronger than me physically. But what I had inside of me of the physical resilience was that fury, that fury that I was not gonna be going back to shore, I was not going to be going back to the to mainland in a body bag, because I experienced that that fury and that pain and that sorrow a few years before when my family lost uh, my sister who was killed in an accident five weeks after she was married, and that terror and that fury inside of you from a loss it never leaves you. So. In a, I used my fury, you know, to get me out of that water. And I was, you know, I was, I swore like a sailor. <laughs> and I thought, you know, one day when I cross over, God's going to say, all right, you little shit. <laughs> <laughs> you knew you came into this world to do so many things. Uh, that was God. That's God speaking. <laughs> but to swear at me like a sailor, I never taught you that. But it's okay, you know, that it's powerful, you know, when you just get it all out. There's okay. one more concussion that I'll blend it in yeah. with. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. so yeah. The talk about that one and then maybe the lessons you've learned from both of these experiences. Thank you for grounding me, Kate. <laughs> you see, it's that excitement of a play date. So the other one, the other one. Uh, in 2010. So this was like seven years later. So um, again, these are concussions that you didn't have to wear a helmet. And I was raking leaves out on, on uh, if anyone lives here, Dodge Street and um, having a beautiful day raking leaves and out towards the curb and a bicyclist, a college kid comes blasting down the sidewalk and plows into me. And the next thing I knew, I was up and over catapulted and landed on my occiput, the back of my skull. And I was laying there um, and looking at the clouds part and the sky was so blue, but I couldn't move my body. And um, I just said, God, we've been here before. <laughs> And don't take me like this. I am not ready. I am not ready, and um, I need help. And I remember hearing a little girl, little girls hollering out the window from a car driving by. And Dodge Street is a one way, and the car started to slow down. And I remember her little voice saying to her, her dad, um, "She needs help. She needs help." And um, there's not much I remember, there's bits and pieces, but what I do remember once my body got uh, uh, safe to come up off the concrete was I said, take me, put me in my office. And um, I know this is going, cause I, I'm a holistic chiro chiropractor. So I knew what I was saying <laughs> and I knew what I was doing, but I knew I needed <laughs> to fix my face because I was like, what's in my ear? What's in my ear? And I put my, my finger in my ear and it was my jaw bone in my ear. Oh my gosh. So I just, you know, I had a dislocated mandible and I knew what I needed to do because one of the loves that I have um, that I did for 33 years was cranial work. 
So I adjusted my own dislocated face (laughs) and, um, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) yeah, fury and, um, fury. Yes. So I was off by one millimeter, according to the dentist who (laughs) checked me later. (laughs) Um, so, you know, what I want to say about concussions is that you, and it's my voice, my voice that I want whoever comes my way in the future, in the near future, when I start something, (laughs) I want to validate that human being, that heart, my heart, their heart. Because when you have a concussion, people like, oh, you look fine. You're not. You are not. It's just like with any trauma. When you don't, you know, because I think as women, we really, we, we bolster ourselves to get out there for the rest of the, the day to present what we need to do to take care of. You know, we're caregivers, we're carriers of strength, we're carriers of peace, we're carriers of fixing things. And when you have something going on inside of you, you're so careful. I was anyway of who I spoke to. Because when you when you see some and you know someone's what out of their mouth is saying, well, you look fine. No, no. So it's a silent so, suffering. Yes. Yeah. So you just, you know, you walk away from that, from that energy, because that's not the energy I needed. And I think, you know, even when you're in the profession and, you know, for a lot of people, you don't want people to really, I, I never wanted to make it about me. And I wanted to just continue in my autopilot, to continue to heal with and work with people and do my job. But inside I was, I was discovering things that I was doing automatically with functional neurology before I even became functional neurology and finding glasses that are blue tinted that were like, they helped me. These lights are beautiful here, but at the time, you know, fluorescent lights were everywhere. And I used to get brain rage when I'd be in a building an office, a studio where there was fluorescent lights. And it would be like, you know, that cowgirl in me that wanted to take the BB gun out and shoot everyone. (laughs) Fury. Fury. Yeah. Fury works for you. Yeah. And (laughs) I think that's such a beautiful way maybe to sum this up for you is your strength and fury has carried you through many, probably more than we've heard today, difficult times. And that we as women can tap into the fury. Yes. Um, yeah. For strength. Yes. Yeah, yes. We be, can't be friends. Be, be friends. friends with your fury. Yeah. Because it will get you through each and every time and to love, love like Betsy taught us. Love, love your heart, even through fury. So thank yeah. you, Jane. Thank you. Thank you, so Betsy. Hi, Jessica. Hi. We have our final speaker today. Can I just, can we just like do a little snap for these brave women, right? To get up in front and be so vulnerable. Yeah. And here's Jessica, Jessica, as we kind of put her as she's the social relationship challenges and how many of us have dealt with relationship challenges? Yeah. Again, pretty universal. And so, um, Jessica, what do you want to share about these last couple of years and all that you have been traversing? Oh, um, Hi, I'm Jessica. I'm a little nervous. So back and forth will work. Great. I will do back and forth and get right up on that microphone too. Like you're kissing it. Kissing it. Yeah. yeah. Uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) Real real close. Um, So yes, I feel like the last couple of years for me, um, my resilience story is an end of a 16 year marriage, 20 year relationship. Um, Something that I felt intuitively was coming and had fought for a long time to save. Um, I would say if I'm really being honest with myself since 2013, so almost 10 years, I was staying in a place where I was working on something on my own and I didn't have that partner to, to work with me or meet me even 5% of the way. And so, but a lot of that behind me not speaking up or speaking my truth was fear. It really was fear. I was fear fearful of what other people would think, you know, Mm. of failure, of, um, being on my own. Yeah. Being on my own. Um, and you know, the last couple of years, I feel like, you know, I met you too in 20, 
too. Jessica showed up at a retreat yeah. in Costa Rica. Costa Rica. And it that was sort of the start of your yes. awareness of I need to go home and yes. change some things. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I I never told either of you this, but so I showed up to the retreat like terrified because it was really the first time I had traveled outside of the country by myself. And so I get there, you know, and I'm just like shaking and just nervous. And then in walks Betsy and Kimberly into our room. And lo and behold, Kimberly, who's not here today, is my roommate. And it just was like this instant, like, I found my people, mm. <laughs> you know, it just was, it was, it just, I had this great feeling like this was where I needed to be and how that whole trip, you know, panned out. Um, I think it was December it was May was the trip in December. I was like, I should go on this trip. And I don't know why it was just this little glimmer of like, I should do this. I should do this for myself because I had never left as a mom. I have twin girls. Um, they're almost 15 now. I had never left them. And so there was this mom guilt. I'd never done anything for myself. So that trip was really that catalyst of, um, doing something for myself. And then I had never been by myself to, to know and sit with the feelings of what I was going through in my marriage. And that week was just like, I know what I got to do. I know what I got to do when I get home. And I think we even talked about um, re-entry from retreats. If any of you have been on retreats before, it's hard to come back to normal life. And I came in like guns a-blazing and crash landed that airplane because it was <laughs> like, we're getting divorced. <laughs> well, and you, you did come home and said something yeah. needs to change, right? Something needs to and change. Yeah. His response was we're getting divorced. Yeah. That was his response because yes, he was, didn't want to change. He didn't want to change. Yeah. So um, I remember during our retreat, um, we had, it was an hour kind of um, where we were shaking. So we stood, we shook for a little bit. And if you've done any of these workshops with Betsy, you're a good shaker, tapper, all of those things. But it was an hour. I'm like, how am I going to do this? Like we're shaking, then we're moving a little bit more, then we're dancing. You're really selling my retreats, Jessica. Yeah. Then we're dancing. Then we're sitting with ourselves in quietness. But I mean, I was resisting it, but I needed to do it. And so I remember after that practice, I was like, I knew exactly what I needed to do when I came home. So that hour of just being with my body again, is it Susan? Is that who spoke earlier? Sarah, 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 just being with your body. I just, yeah, I had never done that. I'm always in my headspace, always analyzing, thinking, thinking, doing in my headspace, but I had never dropped into my body in that way. And so that moment was kind of my yeah, I know what I need to do when I go home. And it was just um, speak to him and say, we, we need to change. Things need to change. I love you. Things need to change. And there was no, no change on his end. Yeah, it was just, we're done. So my resiliency story is I, I feel like that was the beginning of um, finding my tribe finding my tribe and just um, finding my faith. I have my little card up here too. I brought it up because it's, it's really worn in my, in my pocket that I carry all the time, but it says my faith is led, is fed by my confidence and my confidence is secured by my faith. As I activate my faith through personal goals, actions and progress, I will discover an internal confidence. And so I really had to have faith that I was going to come out of this better, stronger, wiser and resilient. And I just prayed every day, align me, guide me, show me, show me the people that I need to find in my life. Um, show me the people that I need to have in my life to support me through this. And then also remove the people that I don't, I needed to create healthy boundaries. And as a people pleaser, I don't know if any of you are people pleasers. I'm a people pleaser recovery right now, but that was something that I had never. Can you recover from it? I, I don't know. I'm <laughs> yeah, trying. I can. I'm trying, <laughs> but um, that was just something that I'd never even thought about is creating boundaries, like saying no to things that didn't serve me and saying hell yes to things that did. Yeah. So if you had uh, one piece of guidance or advice for anyone who is in a relationship, whether it's a work relationship, a friendship, a marriage, uh, that it's, there's something off and you, you knew it, like mm -hmm. you said, for a long time, yep. what would you, how would you encourage them? I would encourage them not to have fear, but also find, find at least one person that you can speak to about it. I think that was the biggest thing. I'm a cancer. So I hold a cancer too. Yes. I, I have my shell. I hold everything close. I don't like to let people in. And part of that is trust too. So I think you just have to, again, get into your body, feel from your stomach and not from your head, who you can trust, who you can trust to confide in. 
and then ask for the resources because really it does just, it's just amazing. And I can't, I can't even describe how everything has just unfolded honestly so beautifully for me. I mean, I really, I, I just can't even describe it. Yeah. It's just been a beautiful journey. It really has. And the people that have showed up in my life, I'm going to get emotional for that. The people Go for that showed up in my life to support me has just been phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yes. Thank yeah. you for, yeah. Thank you for showing yourself yeah. to us, Jessica. Wow. I'm blown away. I mean, you plan these things and you never really know how it's going to go, but this has been really something to yeah. witness. It's powerful to hear stories. And I know I saw myself in every one of these women that were up here. There was a portion of their story that I'm like, me too, me too. And I think that's the beauty of coming together on a day like this is that we see ourselves in each other. We're, we're not really ever alone. So thank you for this, Kate. Thanks, Betsy. Hello, listeners. We want to let you know that we have so much gratitude that you join us in these conversations every week. We want to continue to uplift and connect with women-owned businesses and businesses that are supporting women. So if you are one of those or have a recommendation for someone that may want to sponsor an episode, please have them reach out at tendherwild.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Kate Moreland Coaching and Heartland Yoga. As a coach, I am an advocate for authenticity and well-being for individuals, organizations, and communities. Through my coaching work, I like to help you connect to your authenticity. Whether you're an individual, a leader, or an organization, your creative power lies in your authenticity. Doing the work to understand your strengths and acknowledge the patterns and rocks that are in your way is the path to well-being. Whether it's your career or your relationship with yourself or others, transformative change begins within. You can reach me at katemorelandcoaching.com. Heartland Yoga has been in business for nearly 15 years. I founded this studio with the intention for it to be a safe place where people could come and heal. I also knew that I wanted a business that fostered community and connection. So if you are looking to deepen your yoga practice, heal from physical, emotional, mental wounds, or simply connect with people who are like-minded, Heartland Yoga is a place that we would love to welcome you into, whether it's online or in person. You can find out more information at www.heartlandyoga.com. And now the amazing singer-songwriter, Lissy Morris with Wild West. Thanks for joining us today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Come back and rewild with us again next week.